Please join me now in prayer. Lord of the nations, shine within our hearts the pure light of your divine knowledge and open the eyes of our minds and hearts that we may understand and embrace the message of the scriptures. Amen. A reading from Paul's epistle to the Galatians, chapter 1, verse 1, and continuing with verses 13 through 16. The word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Riley. It was a relationship that meant absolutely everything to him. To say that he was possessive would be an understatement. He, he couldn't let go under any circumstances. And in order to, to maintain the relationship, he had burned every bridge there was to burn. He had betrayed his friends. He had walked away from his entire life and it left him in absolute bondage. He couldn't get out if he, if he wanted to, and the reality is at that point, he didn't want to. We've got a photo. Could we get that first slide? I'm talking, of course, about Gollum and his relationship with the ring. We all are enslaved to something. Thank you. That's good. We don't need his face anymore. Uh, while you may not have a substance abuse disorder, we're all addicts in some way. We're addicted to sin. We're addicted to God's good gifts even that he gives us, but never intended for us to use them in the way that, that we tend to. We, we all find ourselves trapped at some point. And if you say, not me, you're probably just deceiving yourself. And we long for freedom. We long for freedom from bondage. Freedom from slavery, freedom from control of the things that, 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 that get out of hand. And we're going to look at a passage in the Gospel according to St. John. We're going to look at the eighth chapter uh, because Jesus speaks into our experience, our universal experience of enslavement, of addiction, of, of bondage. And he speaks his grace. So we're going to look at John Chapter 8, I'm going to read verse 31 to 36 and then pick it up again at verse 56. This is Christ's good news for us. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. And then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, well, we're Abraham's descendants and we've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say we'll be free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. 
Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. And so if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And then in verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him, and and you've seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. And at this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. We see here an implicit longing for freedom. Jesus in verse 32 says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus assumes our experience of bondage and our corresponding longing to be set free. It's the default state of human experience this side of the fall because the world is not as it was meant to be. Human nature is not as it was meant to be. Our human experience is so much less than it was intended to be because our first parents severed that relationship of intimate communion with God and everything else has been shattered as a result. And and so we experience this enslavement. A, A buddy of mine in college, one of the first guys uh, that, 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 that I told my own story to. Godly guy, loved Jesus. I remember a few years afterward bumping into him and he had just had to list his, his name with all these state agencies because he had developed this massive gambling addiction and he couldn't even go near a casino because it had so much control. It almost destroyed his family. Uh, a friend of mine who developed an addiction to food. I mean, how cruel is that? You have to have food. You die without food. And yet, to be addicted to it, to be in bondage to it. I, a friend of mine who's an alcoholic, after 18 years of sobriety, he still says he's an alcoholic because if he gets a whiff of alcohol, he goes nuts. Friend with a video game addiction. Gosh, I remember decades ago when SimCity 3000 came out for the PC. I could go days without eating. I was hooked. You know, a friend of mine developed uh, 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 an addiction to, to fentanyl prescribed by his doctor for pain. A pastor friend of mine who, who was an addict to heroin. Other people become addicted to plastic surgeries. Does anybody remember a decade ago tan mom? She was so addicted to the tanning bed that she sent her little girl to tanning beds to get until, until the authorities intervened. Then there's adrenaline junkies, risky behaviors. After 16 years of sobriety, I am still a pornography addict, even though I haven't looked at it in years, because I know I cannot even have access to an unmonitored internet connection because I can feel the pull inside of me after all of these years. And Jesus understands this longing for freedom. He sees our bondage. He sees the slavery. He sees all the things trying to control us. I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin, he says. That's all of us. And anything can 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 make us a slave. I mean, think about shopping. I remember, gosh, when I was a young man in my 20s with a credit card with a limit that was way out of proportion for the lack of income that I had coming in, um, I remember I got to a point where I, I, I just, I, I couldn't stop myself if I was, I mean, if I was in the mall and I, I, I remember having to take my credit card 20 years ago and put it in a piece of Tupperware 
fill the Tupperware with water, seal it, and stick it in the freezer in my apartment just so I would not have the ability to impulse shop. You know, I would have to, I was building it, I guess you could call it a cooling down period, but actually it was a warming up period because I'd have to go and you can't microwave a credit card. I don't think you can. I wasn't going to try because then I'd be out for good. So I, I had to then go home, let that giant block of ice thaw in my sink, and then go back to the mall. And by then I was through. I was fine. I didn't need that stuff. You know, it's just think about new shoes and the control they have on you that first time you wear a pair of brand new shoes you feel like a new person i am alive i was dead and now i am born anew you know it's like it, it doesn't last but it still enslaves us it, there are all these things that are working upon us our hearts are so weak we can be manipulated and controlled and you know think about Think about that shiny little rectangle you spent all that money on that you keep in your pocket or your purse. Does it, does it exercise control over you? Do, you? do you feel a need to go back and check Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, anger problem? You know, do you, does, it, does it control you? Do you get the dopamine hit every time you look back? Can you take a day off and not look at your phone? Or is it controlling you? It's so easy. Cycling through apps on an entire day off, just looking for the next dopamine hit, and at the end of the day, realizing I wasted an entire day off. Anything can leave us in bondage. And Jesus gives us the freedom to have an incredible honesty about it because he only loves sinners. It's the only category he came to save are people with problems. I tell you the truth, he says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And it's something we can all relate to. Some of you have found, have found yourself addicted to career paths where you pour everything into your career. You work insanely long hours. You work every weekend. You invest everything you have to get ahead in life. You get to the top of the totem pole, and yet by then you've lost your spouse. You've lost the love and affection and respect of your children. You've lost your integrity. You maybe have lost your relationship with God. You find yourself alone. Your only friends are using you to climb the same ladder that you've climbed to the top of. And you're sitting there behind your desk, tapping your pencil on your ex in your executive suite, daydreaming about your next affair. And you realize this thing has me in absolute slavery. I thought it would make me happy. I thought this would make me someone important, but I'm empty on the inside, and I built this monster. And I don't even know what to do with it, because now it controls me, and it is bondage. A friend of mine, Jack, showed up at church. This was probably 20 years ago. On a Sunday morning, he had just crawled out of bed with a lady that he didn't even ever get her name. At that point, he said he had had easily 500 partners, but he'd lost count. And he never called it free love because he said there was no freedom in it. It was absolute slavery. He said, Greg, I can't control it. I hate it. And I hate myself. And I hate what I do. And I don't know where to turn for help. He experienced it as bondage and desperately wanted to be free. Some of you, you understand that slavery is the default human condition this side of the fall. Those of you who are parents, you get this because you know when your three-year-old is screaming bloody murder at the top of their lungs because the tomato on the plate is yellow instead of red or the cheese is white instead of yellow and you're sitting there thinking, we did not teach them this. 
And your child at that moment is absolutely enslaved and absolutely miserable, and they don't know what's wrong with them. And it's the same thing that's wrong with the rest of us. It's slavery. It's our default state of bondage, something a lot of us can relate to in this room. But, but the religious listeners that Jesus had, they didn't get it. They couldn't relate. In fact, they insisted vociferously that they had never experienced bondage. What are you talking about, Jesus? We have never been slaves of anyone, verse 33. I mean, how can you say that we'll be set free? You know, there, there's a, in the Greek, it has an ugly, challenging tone to it. Like, how dare you say that I would ever have to be freed from anything? We're, we're the Jewish nation. We're always free. We're sons of Abraham. They couldn't see it. It was their, their own pride, racially, their own pride religiously that got in the way. We're Abraham's descendants, verse 33. We've never been slaves of anyone. And that, if you know anything at all about history, you know that that is really stretching the truth. I mean, the Jewish people, and everybody there was Jewish, Jesus was Jewish, they had been enslaved to Assyrians, they had been enslaved to the Babylonians, they had been enslaved to the Egyptians, they were currently enslaved to the Romans, and they had previously been enslaved to the Greeks. I, I've got a, a coin here. I should have photographed it. Um, it's a silver coin. This thing's 2,200 years old or 2,195 years old, if you want to be precise. Um, we'll have an anniversary in five years. But um, this is Antiochus IV Epiphanes on the front. He was um, uh, the, the Macedonian uh, ruler. Um, of the ancient Near East, uh, ruled out of Antioch. And in the second century BC, he, as ruler of the Jews, he had them enslaved. Uh, they've never been enslaved to anybody, huh? He, uh, he's the one who went into the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem and rededicated it as a temple to Zeus and put a statue of himself in it and sacrificed a pig on the altar in the holy place. Um, you're really not supposed to do that. And uh, two years later, he died of illness while fighting the Parthians in the east. And the Jews again became free. But, but the irony here is the Jewish people had been enslaved to everybody. They were still carrying around coins with all of their lords on it. Caesar you know, enslaved them. Not literally, but, but as a nation, they were in bondage. And yet their pride... These hearers of Jesus in their racial and religious pride, they could not own the fact that they knew bondage, both as a people and practically, personally, their pride got in the way. And they were probably only looking at external things. Um, I don't actually have chains, therefore I'm not a slave. But they weren't looking at, at issues of the heart. And the worst bondage is always the bondage of, of the heart. The, the fact that things get a hold of us on the inside that promise us something. It's not that you're really addicted to shoes. It's you're addicted to the feeling of newness and desirability that the shoes are painfully poorly fulfilling. You got to look at the heart. You know, somebody comes to me and says, Greg, I have a problem with stretching the truth. I just... I tell tales that aren't really true. I misrepresent things. I don't always say things like I should. I, I have trouble telling the truth. And I look at them and I think, okay, I got it. I think the best way pastorally 
for you to address this challenging situation is to stop lying. No, that's not it. The lying is the symptom. What's going on underneath? Why are you lying? Maybe it's because you doubt that people will like you if they knew what you really are and who you really are and what you're really like. And maybe your lying is an attempt to patch up the fact that you feel massive shame and feel that nobody would ever accept you. And yet it doesn't work because then that mask you're putting up is what people are loving. And you, the real you, are never loved by anyone because you're not known. It's hard stuff. But the lying because it becomes a symptom of the fact that you don't think you're lovable. The gospel speaks to that. Because Jesus loves you. And he knows. He sees through the mask. Maybe you're lying to advance your career because you feel like you need to be successful and significant and doing that through your accomplishments and it puts you on a performance treadmill of success that leaves you in absolute slavery and bondage, constantly having to feed it because your real needs, your spiritual needs, your emotional needs are not being addressed well. We're all looking for something to rescue us from the effects of the fall. We're all looking to these false saviors, thinking that they will make us happy. The bondage is at the heart level. The the actions are merely a manifestation of the slavery that's already there inside. You know, uh, think about your relationship with money. You know, maybe you spend all your money at the mall, all your money, you know, uh, it, it's, it's easy for you. You have to watch yourself, but you find it incredibly hard to give money away. It's painful. It's like cutting an arm off. And, and that means your real God is your wardrobe. You're enslaved to having to look a certain way. Maybe you're enslaved to needing to be desired by others. And yet the gospel is what wants to speak into that because the Lord is the one who desires you. Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. It talks about greed, which is idolatry, Paul says. And, 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 and money may not be what we actually bow down to, but it's a diagnostic. Maybe you're like, no, nah, you don't spend all your money on clothing. That's foolish. You're throwing your money away. No, nah, it's wasteful. You should put it into a house. I mean, look where I can afford to live. And yet that's being enslaved to your lifestyle, which is your real God. And money is the diagnostic that tells you that. You say, ah, oh, that's silly. Don't waste it on a house. Invest it. Get a return. Put it into securities. That's bondage to your own personal security and trusting money to do that for you. See, money tells us what's going on inside, where we're putting our hope, where we're finding ourselves enslaved because it's always bondage. It's the human condition. We see this longing for freedom, and yet we see a hope. A hope in freedom here. Jesus, interestingly, grounds the freedom in in perseverance to his teachings. He says, look at what he says. He says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And that that word, the Greek word is, is, is meno, to abide, to remain. It means holding on to for dear life, not letting go, but persevering in in faith. You say, oh, Greg, wait a minute. You were saying earlier that salvation is all grace. It's not through what you do. It's all Jesus, all grace, all forgiveness. And now you've just said that the Bible is a one-size-fits-all moral straitjacket. Which is it? It's a fair question. Uh, and yet the question assumes that freedom is the absence of restrictions. And, and that doesn't really pan out in reality. You know, if a fish 
hates the fact that it's restricted to its fishbowl. It hates the fact that it has to live in water. And it's determined to gain the freedom to get out of the fishbowl, to live and breathe the open air. It's going to die because freedom is not the absence of restrictions. Freedom is restrictions that accord with our nature as we were created. Uh, Take, for example, a runner who runs for an hour every morning, whether they feel like it or not. They get up at 6 a.m., hit the snooze just once, get out of bed, go do their run, and and, and, and it's such a restrictive thing. So little freedom. And yet what they gain is the freedom to run a marathon if they want to. You take some kid taking piano lessons because mom made them every single day, an hour of practice, every week, meet with the instructor, go to class, do the recitals. No freedom at all, it seems like. But after a few years, they have the ability to sit down and sight read any piece of music they want. It is beautiful because they gain a freedom through the restriction because the restrictions are in accord with their nature lining up with how we were made. It's a question of which restrictions help us come become more alive and more loving and more generous. James 1 says, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, persevering, abiding, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it. They're the ones who will be blessed in what they do. Or Psalm 119, the psalmist cries out to God, Don't snatch the word of truth from my mouth, for I put my hope in your laws. I will always obey your law forever and ever. I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. Jesus is grounding freedom in persevering with his teaching, specifically in obedience, doing what we don't feel like and not doing what we do feel like. He says, he says elsewhere, you've got to cut your hand off or pluck your eye out to enter the kingdom. He's not talking literally, it's hyperbole. His point is, you have to make some deep cuts to amputate the things that are enslaving you to persevere in my teaching, and he promises you will gain a freedom you never knew you could have. I remember the day my sex addict friend that I knew that he was going to end up right back where he was. Um, it was really sad. He had, he had started going to counseling. He had started getting some accountability. He had handed over some things that were, were getting him into trouble. He seemed to be making some progress, but as we talked, it became clear. I was like, uh, dude, how do you end up with all these random people you don't know again and again and again, like multiple times every week? Well, they, they, they call, they text. Well, how do they have your number? Probably met them at a bar. Okay. Dude, I think what needs to happen is, I mean, you know where this is going, right? Too many people have your phone number. Too many young, lonely women who when they're sitting alone at home Friday night with a bottle of wine are going to text you. you got to change your phone number. No way. Yeah, I think you need to do I, I don't. I don't think you're going to get free without changing your phone number. There's no way. All my business contacts have this phone number. This phone number is my lifeline. It is my bread and butter. It is what gets me. I cannot do that. I will not do that under any circumstances. He ended up right back where he was because he couldn't cut the hand off. He couldn't pluck the eye out. He couldn't amputate the one thing that was enabling the enslavery to continue. It's sad. What has a hold on you? What's controlling you? What is God telling you, I want you to cut it off? What's he saying he wants you to pluck out? 
What's Jesus saying? In what area of your life is he saying, I need you to hold on to me and quit letting go of my hand as I hold on to yours? Where do you need to trust him and trust his gospel? Where are you going to suffer if you obey him? Maybe it's cutting off unmonitored internet access. Maybe it's freezing your credit card. Uh, it's been done. I'm not going to judge you. Trust me. Uh, you know, maybe it's giving up some leisure time or getting off Facebook or selling your house and moving into one that would enable you to actually give money away instead of spending it all on yourself. When I find myself weighing whether or not to trust God with something, when I find myself weighing whether I'm going to obey him or not, understand at that point, my heart is already sinning against him because I am making myself sovereign. I am treating Jesus not as my Lord, but as my consultant. And at that point, I already have to be asking him to cleanse me and change me and purge me. It's a humble realization that this life is not all about me. My destiny is wrapped up in God, and it's my Lord who's going to redeem me and carry me through to the other side. He's the one who washes me. He's the one who forgives me. He's the one who secures my future. He is the one who is sovereign. Lord has numbered the very hairs on my head, and not a bird can fall to the ground without his direct will and command. He is that much in control. Do you doubt that he has the power to take care of you? Or is it that you doubt that he loves you enough to take care of you if you trust him, if you cut it off, if you pluck it out, if you persevere in my teaching, Jesus says you will be free and you will be mine. When God speaks to me and says, Greg, I want your whole heart, and there's this area of your life that you don't want to give to me, that you don't want to trust entrust to me, you, you think you sealed it off, you think you're just fine, I know, Greg, I want you to offer that area to me. I want costly obedience. I want you to offer me the suffering that you're going to experience when you trust and obey. Oswald Chambers describes the Christian life as being crushed into wine. He says, God can never make me wine if I object to the fingers he uses to crush me. If God would only crush me with his own fingers and say, now, my son, I'm going to make you broken bread and poured out wine in a particular way and everyone will know that I'm doing it. But, but when he uses someone who maybe isn't a Christian or someone that I don't particularly like, or some set of circumstances which I said I would never submit to, and, and, and he begins to make those the crushers, I object. He says, I must never choose the scene of my own martyrdom, nor must I choose the things God will use in order to make me broken bread and poured out wine. His own son did not choose. God chose for his son that he should have a devil in his company for three years. We say, I want angels. I want people better than myself. I want everything to be significantly from God. Otherwise, I cannot live the life. I cannot do the thing. I, will, I always want to be guilt-edged. He writes, let God do as he likes. If you are ever going to be wine to drink, you must be crushed. Grapes cannot be drunk. Grapes are only wine when they have been crushed. I wonder what kind of coarse finger and thumb God has been using to squeeze you and you have been like a marble and escaped. You're not ripe yet. And if God had squeezed you, the wine that came out would have been remarkably bitter. Let God go on with his crushing because it will work his purpose in the end. It is for freedom's sake 
that Christ sets us free. It's all part of God's merciful grace to bring us to an end to ourselves that we might be found in Christ, not with a righteousness of our own that comes from what we do, but the righteousness of Christ clothing us as sons that God loves and delights in, that we would suffer for the sake of faithfulness. How do the unhealthy patterns and behaviors in your life work as false saviors? What do they promise you? The things that keep you enslaved, whether it's financial, sexual, relational, anger problem, bitterness, gossip, whatever that looks like, whatever it is that has control over you, what is it promising? Have you interrogated it? Have you asked, is it promising you comfort? And if so, does it really deliver long term or does it just leave you enslaved and miserable and empty inside? Is it promising that you'll be desired or is it leaving you hiding behind a mask and not desired for the real you at all? What does it deliver? Does it live up to its promise? Because Jesus is the only king, the only master who will live up to his. Paul says in Galatians, you, my brothers, were called to be free. Don't use your freedom to indulge the sin nature. This means Jesus looking to Him as a better Savior, knowing that He is the truth and He will set you free. The truth, D.A. Carson says, the truth will set you free. The truth in meaning is closest to the Gospel. The truth that has been revealed in Jesus because of truth's intimate connection with Jesus. True disciples must not only hear His words, we must in some sort be united to Him who is the truth. He is the one who brings comfort. He is the one who knows you as you are, who desires you, who, who has your, the name, your name engraved into the palm of his hand. He is the one who delights over you in song. Do you think a man or a woman will do that in any lasting way, what God himself is doing for you now? If you are a Christian, realize God is in control and he loves you and he gives you a better identity than anything else can give you. He's Jesus, you say I need success. He was wildly successful for you and has clothed you in his righteousness so that you now have Jesus' resume. You are the one who fed the 5,000. You are the one who raised Lazarus from the dead and you are the one who always did what pleased the Father because that has all been credited to your account. Henry Nouwen talks about the freedom gained in the gospel and trusting Jesus hands-on day by day to make him alive and to be his redeemer. Now and was never he never spoke publicly about his sexual orientation. He only spoke about it with his friends, but he remained faithful to Christ till his dying day. And he said this, he said, the great spiritual task facing me is to fully trust that I belong to God and that I can be free in the world, free to speak even when my words are not received, free to act even when my actions are criticized, ridiculed, or considered useless, free also to receive love from people, and free to be grateful for all the signs of God's presence in the world. He writes, I am convinced that I will be truly able to love other people when I fully believe that I am loved far beyond the boundaries of this world, that I am loved by God himself, that Jesus Christ has loved me. It is the ticket to freedom and hope 
for our lives, it's all bound up in this man of freedom, Jesus himself, who says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed, but you have to trust me. Jesus not only enjoys the rights as the Son of God, he exercises full authority vested in him by God the Father to liberate those who are slaves. He sets captives free. He breaks in and binds the strong man so that we might be released. He has this power. If the Son sets you free, Jesus is saying, you will be free indeed. And this is because of who Jesus is. Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. And you think he's got the tense wrong. Before Abraham was I was and yet that's not what Jesus is saying Jesus is hearkening back to the burning bush when Moses saw the holiness of God a theophany and and a voice spoke and told him to take off his sandals because he was in the presence of one who is altogether holy and unlike us and in his presence he asked who will I say sent me and he said tell them I am that I am The name of God, Yahweh, I am. And Jesus is saying before Abraham was, I am. He's saying the one who has authority to set you free is none other than God himself. And if they ask you, who is it that sets me free? Tell them it is God who sets you free because I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And then it says they they. They started to get rocks together to stone him because they understood exactly what he had claimed. In Leviticus 24, stoning was prescribed as as the penalty for blaspheming. In Mishnah Sanhedrin 7, it was prescribed as the, the penalty for blasphemy. They knew he was claiming to be God himself. He was claiming to have divine authority to set captives free. He says, now a slave is no longer uh, no, has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. And Jesus is saying not only that he is the divine son of God, but that in setting you free, he is making you to be a son as well. In the Roman world, adoption was often a wealthy older man approaching the end of his life. It happened with the emperor Justin when he saw he had no male heir. He adopted his nephew Justinian I and made him his own heir and his own son, thereby giving him all of his authority and all of his wealth and his very name and his position and his status and his title. And yet when an adult was adopted in the ancient world, it was also true that all of the adoptees' debts and liabilities were then transferred to the father, and the father then became responsible for all of it. And in making you sons... And no longer slaves. What God has done, what Jesus has done, is He has said, I have taken all of your debts and I have taken all of your obligations and I am now responsible to pay them down for you. And all of my riches, my honor and my name, I give to you as sons of Most High God. And Jesus, at that very moment, was on His way to the cross to do exactly that. A news story years ago that really affected me was, uh, you know, my, my grandpa's, both of my grandfathers worked in coal mines. One was an electrician, one was a miner. And 
And there was a story years back about a coal miner, two coal miners. There was a cave-in. There was a collapse in the mine, and two coal miners were were trapped in a small shaft with a, a wall of rock blocking their way out. And so they both did what they were trained to do. They both put on their emergency respirators, and as they put on their respirators, it became very clear very quickly that one of them was malfunctioning. It was a young guy. And he sat and he looked at his friend. His young guy had the good one. And he sat and watched his friend slowly pass out, become unconscious, breathing but no oxygen. And as he watched his friend, he thought about his friend. His friend had a wife. His friend had a new baby boy. And he was thinking, who's going to raise that child? Who's going to take care of that wife? And so what he did is he went and sat next to his friend, put his arm around his friend, took off his own respirator and put it on his buddy. And his friend came out of that mine alive, but at the cost of somebody's life. Friends, that's what Jesus did for you. Only I want you to imagine that it wasn't his best friend who was in that mine shaft with him, but it was the guy who stole his wife. That's what Jesus did for you. It was when we were his enemies that Christ died for you. He loved you that much. He loved you to set you free. He loved you. And he gave his life for you. There's a story from the antebellum south of a man, an abolitionist, who went to a slave auction. And while he was there, disgusted by what he was seeing, he He took pity on a young African slave girl. She had no remaining family and likely would be sent to work in the fields of the deep south in bondage to a life she did not choose or want. And as the auction proceeded, he found himself bidding against his better judgment on the young woman. He abhorred the institution of slavery. He loathed the thought that his bid might perpetuate it. But, but he felt such compassion on this young woman that he paid the price and paid beyond that to set her free. As they walked away from the auction and as they left the courthouse, the man turned to the girl and he told her, You're free now. With amazement, she responded, You mean I'm free to do whatever I want? Yes. And to say whatever I want to say? Yes. And to be whatever I want to be? Yes. And to go wherever I want to go? Yes. You're free to go wherever you like. And she looked at him intently and she replied, Then I will go with you. Friends, that's what Jesus did for us. And it's only blood-bought loyalty that can free us up to say, Lord, I will hold on to you whatever it takes because I know you are the one who sets me free. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the one who sets us free from judgment and condemnation. You are the one who sets us free from the condemnation of your own law. You are the one who sets us free to be sons and not slaves, who sets us free from bondage. You are the one who is in your person the very gospel of God. And we thank you, Lord, for your compassion. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your blood that washes us clean and your righteousness that clothes us even as sinners. 
You are the one who delights in us. And so we consecrate to you now the elements on this table that you might preach good news and bind us together as the people of God, bruised and broken, but loved by God. We thank you. In the name of Christ. Amen.